0: What's up, fam? How y'all doing? Y'all sound... Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Woo! uh, Me. Is that my mom? No. Um, What's up, y'all? Pastor Brian here. Glad to be with you. It is an honor and privilege to preach from the Bible God's holy and inspired word. We're in Romans 9 today. So if you got one of these things, they're called Bibles. You can crack it open. I titled our message this weekend, The God of Great Mercy. I hope you can't see that yet. Spoiler alert. Darn it. That just ruined my only joke I got, man. You got a handout as well. If you want to get to Romans 9 in your Bible, I will give you some time. I'm going to pray, and we will begin. Lord Jesus Christ, we we love you. We thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the word made flesh, and every word of God proves true. Jesus, we believe that. Um, Even when there's texts like today in Romans 9 where it may be a little hard for us to grasp and understand your goodness and your sovereignty and your love and your wrath in your mercy. Those things are hard for us creatures to understand. So, Lord, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us clearly. We would hear from you, your children of God. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, today we are in Romans 9. We're continuing on and... The Apostle Paul is going to answer, ask and answer some questions for us today that are pretty heavy and weighty. We're going to continue on in this doctrine of election and God's sovereignty and his foreknowledge and his choosing and his electing and all of these words that Christians love to fight with each other over in the comments section. So um, we need a lot of help from the Lord with these verses like we just prayed. And before we get started, I just want to give Pastor Bill a shout out for totally punting on the hard text on Jacob and Esau last week, promising you guys I would answer those questions. I can only guarantee you will only have more questions after this sermon, so you can email me for answers. My email is josh at trc.life. But before we get going, hey, since we made fun of the Calvinists last week, how about, hey, when we talk about weighty subjects, let's just make fun of each other, right? That's how we do it here. Um, So here we go. Here's a great joke. I got two for you. This one's not very good. You already know the answer. Uh, But what is a Calvinist's scariest movie, and what is an Arminian's favorite movie? Do you guys know the answer to that? Free Willy. Huh. I got a better one. Okay. So Calvinist and an Arminian, they're just fighting each other online, right? Just they're watching a YouTube video, and they're just debating each other. And then ironically, they both just die at the exact same time. And then they are whiffed up into heaven, and they're walking up to the pearly gates, and they see this big old sign in front of the pearly gates, and it reads, Come whosoever will believe. And the Arminian looks over to his Calvinist brother and says, Ha! I told you so. Then they walk in to the pearly gates, and they looked back at that same sign that they just saw. And they saw that the words on the sign got bigger and the words on the sign changed. And when they were inside of heaven, they looked and the sign now said, chosen before the foundation of the world. And the Calvinist said, ha, I told you so. You might get that on the way home. <laughs> Anyways, so a huge bummer with these verses that we come to today is that many believers use these verses to pit themselves up against one another when that is not the point of the text. Who would have thought? That's how you roll today. If you love to get arsenal to throw shade at those who have a different conviction when it comes to the sovereignty of God and whom and who will not be in heaven and salvation, I would encourage you to get some of that Holy Spirit mouthwash and get that bad breath off of your tongue and we can come to the scripture with a clear eyes and clear vision and hear from the Lord this weekend. So before we get to the text, I do have a couple questions for you. When we are talking about any of these heavy, weighty, deep theological issues, three questions that I have for you. These are free, you can have all of them. Questions to ask yourself when things are a little tough. Will I trust God when I don't understand all of his ways? That's a great question to ask yourself, Amen. Will I trust God when I struggle to believe what His Word says? And then will I trust God or will I be God? So, a few questions to remember. Keep that on your brain as we're unpacking these verses today. Uh, let's come to God's Word and see what God tells us about Himself. Okay, Romans chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there any injustice on God's part? By no means. So, this question comes after what we just read in verses 10 through 12. We were just told that God has chose to love one boy and not love another boy. And before that, we were told that God's people, Israel, not all Israel's people were God's chosen people. And so all of these really hard thoughts start popping into our head. It kind of seems like, well, then it makes God seem unfair, right? I mean, to make it worse, we were just told about two boys that God decided if he was or wasn't going to love one of them more than the other before they were even born. That just seems not fair specifically in our verses we're talking about God's predetermined before the foundations of the world plan to save and extend his mercy and grace upon some and not give the same mercy and grace towards others and so the question may more sound like this today why does God save some people but not all people have you ever had that question If God is God, he is powerful enough. If the blood of Christ is sufficient to cover for the sins for every single person, why doesn't he just save everybody? Or the one that gets a little bit more me, me, I, me, mine, I, me, mine is, well, if I didn't have any choice in my salvation, then I'm just kind of like, God's just in control of everything. He's just some divine puppet orchestrator. And then what about my will? Lots of questions that Paul is going to anticipate. And he asks this question. So if you've ever had those thoughts before, you're in great company because Paul is a very great teacher and he's expecting us to struggle with these verses, these truths that he is teaching us about our good and sovereign God. And so today, in response to that, Paul is going to bring up two more people. He's going to bring the attention to two other men who make some choices. It's Moses and Pharaoh. And in verses 15 through 18, yes, yes, we are going to go back to the time of the Exodus. And we're going to get this bigger picture on God's plan and his purposes for people. So our first big idea for us this weekend is this. God will never treat anyone unfairly. Verse 15, for he says to Moses, this is the Apostle Paul citing, this is Exodus chapter 33. We'll go unpack that in just a second. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, this is now citing Exodus chapter 9. For this very purpose, I have raised you, Pharaoh. I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he, God has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. So just for a moment, I would like to go back. The reason Paul is explaining this to us is very good for us to understand. Back in Exodus chapter 32, we have this story with God and his people. Specifically, we're gonna hone in on God with Moses. They're on the mountain and we're gonna have this little dialogue. But what we see here is we're going to be reminded that God by no means treats any of these parties unfairly. Okay? So what happens when we hear about Moses, we almost always unanimously go like, yeah, man, hero of the faith. That guy did some awesome stuff for the Lord, which is absolutely true. But Paul is bringing us back to this verse that he just mentioned in 15 and 16 to bring us back to this story with Moses and Pharaoh and God's people in Exodus chapter 32. Because guess what? These people weren't really acting very holy. They were not doing anything very commendable. In context, do you guys remember what God's people were doing down in the valley back in Exodus chapter 32? They were just making some gold coffee cow take coffee coffee table nook and cranny to worship instead so that's that's where paul takes us and context. Moses is up on this mountain in the presence of the Lord, and God's people are down in the valley, and they're rebelling, and they're mumbling and moaning, and they're going to Moses's brother Aaron, and they're like, yeah, we get it. Your God, like, literally just rescued us out of slavery, and the whole parting of the Red Sea thing, and then Pharaoh and all those people dying, and then we were gotten hungry, and then he started feeding us bread from heaven. But Where is he now? He must have abandoned us and he's just left us out here to die and it would have been better for us to just remain slaves. So I know what we should do. Since God has abandoned us, how about we take all of our gold earrings and our bracelets and our jewelries and we boil it all down and then we melt it up and we make a cute little coffee table golden calf and we'll worship that as our God instead. That's ridiculous. It's a horrible sight. People who were just rescued. incredible God. They're already like, "Eh, I'm done with that, God. I'm going to worship this little calf we made. On paper, do these people deserve mercy? The answer is no. No. God responds by saying just that. You look at verse 32 and verse chapter 32, eight in Exodus. The people have corrupted themselves. They're stiff-necked. They've turned aside. They worship and they sacrifice to this stupid golden calf. Moses, these are your people. What are they doing? They're set on evil. They deserve judgment. And so on the mountain, Moses is pleading with the Lord. Lord, we know, I know we deserve to be blotted out. We've sinned against you, but God, would you please have mercy on us? We don't deserve it. Please, God, would you show me your glory? And then we have this incredible sight, right, where God does that. It's the scene that God passes by Moses and Moses sees the presence of God and then God says this these verses we read in verse chapter 9 verse 15 God listens and God says Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion and we learn that God has decided According to his foreknowledge and his predetermined plan, that he was going to give these people something they did not deserve. It's called mercy, and to that we say amen. So, now, what about Pharaoh? Pharaoh was a king of Egypt. You can go to Exodus chapter 8 if you want to learn a little bit about this story 7, 8, and 9, and 10. Um, Pharaoh was the king of Egypt, he was a horrible tyrant who was behemothly opposed to God's people. He was cruel. He took these people against their will, and he held them as slaves and captives, and they were in, it was just a horrible sight. And then we know the story where Moses speaks for God to Pharaoh, and God says to you, Pharaoh, you let my people go, or I'm going to show you that you're not God, and I am. In fact, I've actually raised you up for this purpose. I'm going to cut you down and show you that your power is nothing in comparison to mine. That's the story here with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh gets justice in the form of 10 plagues and ultimately his own death. And that's not hard for us. Whenever there's a bad person, we always want the bad people to get the bad stuff. Nobody here is going, but wait, that doesn't seem fair. Nobody has a problem when the bad people get the bad stuff that they deserve. We demand it in those instances, right? And that's what Paul is giving us here in verse 18, right? So then God has mercy on whom he has mercy, and he hardens whomever he wills. And so he even does that with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, I raised you up from this purpose, and I'm going to harden you. And we love this verse until we get to the very end, right, where it says, oh, God hardens his heart. I don't really like that. That's another hard thing for me to understand. It seems like God is cruel. But he's not. And we can debate in the comment section on if God hardens someone's heart is that bad, or did God harden Pharaoh's heart, or did Pharaoh harden God's or his heart, his own heart? Because in Exodus we see like a dozen times God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and then like another dozen times Pharaoh hardens his own heart. So which one is it? The answer is yes. <laughs> God hardening someone's heart sounds cruel, but we must not interpret it that way. What we have here really is. It's the same language that when we look at Romans chapter 1, right? Where three times we're told that God will hand us over. God hands the unrighteous over to their sin over and over. So what it means for God contextually when God hardens whomever he wills is that there will come a point in a time in a person's life who is hostile to God, rejects God, doesn't want anything to do with God, just kicking and screaming, and God will eventually just let his hand go on them and let them just keep running themselves into all the oncoming traffic and just ruin their own lives. So it's the same language here. Hardening a heart, handing someone over to their sin. That's what we're talking about here contextually, okay? But you gotta get out of here with that. Um, God creates people just to punish them and harden them, okay? Lots of bad Calvinists and lots of really bad anti-Calvinists will use this verse to make each other sound dumb. Get out of here with that. God does not create unbelief and cause more evil in people. We just get out of town with that. Far from it. God created us to know him and love him and enjoy him and worship him. And we find 25,000 other reasons to say no, absolutely not. That's the hard heart. Spurgeon says it this way. The same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay. The same gospel which melts some person... repentance hardens others in their sins. You ever know or experience somebody like that? Just the more that you love on them, the harder their heart gets towards you. So God, for reasons we may not totally grasp, he gives Moses and the people mercy, which leads to more sin and rebellion and foolishness. But hey, that's, this is who we are, right? It's God's people, that's what we're good at. But he gives us mercy and it leads to softened hearts and repentance. And then he also gives Pharaoh judgment and even harder hearts towards God. But both people, right? Moses, God's people, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, faithless, rebellious, and yet they are given mercy. Pharaoh, his people, stiff-necked, hardened hearts, faithless and rebellious people, they get justice. So why does Paul share both of these stories? Because in both cases, he wants us to understand that God does not treat anyone unfairly. So then why? Why does God choose to act a certain way towards one party and then not the same exact way towards the other party? This is the very concept that we're struggling to wrap our little brains around. And Paul's answer to this question on God's justness and his salvation and his mercy and his wrath is that this is not up for us to decide how God will be God. When it comes to fair, when it comes to justice, Paul's already made it very clear in this letter, right? Before God, everyone is guilty, Everyone stands condemned. There is no innocent party. There is none righteous. There is none that do good. No, not one. Here, I'm going to show you a picture. I compiled this for you. You can take a picture. I, got a, I found a picture of all the, all the good people in the Bible that God gives mercy to. And I, I found a picture of all the people in the history of the world who deserve God's mercy. God has never given his mercy to a good person. You know why? There are no good people. There was one good person. It was the God-man Jesus Christ, and we killed him. That's our next big idea. If mercy is deserved, then it's, it's not mercy. Throughout history, when we see the track record of God's people who God gives his mercy to. We see very clearly no one deserves it. And I'll just entertain you for a moment. Let me give you a list of some of our heroes of the faith that God has chosen to give his mercy to. We can start with Abraham. Abraham, God chose him. He said, hey, hey, buddy, you're, Abraham was this like satanic pagan. Okay? He was worshiping a false god with the Ur of the Chaldeans, and he says, hey, that whole life of worshiping demons isn't going to end well for you, so I'm just going to go ahead and step in, and I'm just going to do something. I'm going to make a good people out of you, and you're the father of the faith. And it's awesome. Didn't deserve it. Who's next? we got Moses. Right? What about Moses, the guy who we just talked about? Moses, if you read Exodus, kills a dude, buries his body, and then runs and hides in the witness relocation program for 40 years. Noah, Noah, some of your kids' Bibles will say, Noah was a good man. Throw that page out of your Bible. If your kid's Bible, that's not true. The Bible says Noah was included with everybody in Genesis chapter six, when God says he looks down from heaven and he sees that everyone only does evil continually, right? And then God says, I find favor. That's mercy, that's grace. That's something Noah doesn't deserve. And he says, hey, Noah, um, there's going to be a floody floody. I need you to get those animals on the hill, arky, arky, You guys know the story, right? And then they touch down, they get some land, and the first thing that we see this awesome man Noah doing is he gets drunk and naked and passes out in the tent. <laughs> what about David? The man, after God's own heart, sleeps with a married woman, takes her, gets her pregnant, has her husband killed. Jonah some would say when God calls Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites to repentance because of his hatred for these people he was superior some would say Jonah had like incredible hostility and was racist towards the people of Nineveh you can go to the apostle Paul the man who was actively against Jesus Christ in the early Christian church, a Christian terrorist dead set on destroying God's people. And Jesus shows up and shakes him for his lunch money. And we know the story. God says, I've got better plans for you. So in every one of these stories, God shows up and he intervenes and he gives mercy to every single one of them. And they do not deserve it. Is that understood? So if God doesn't owe anybody salvation, then he's free to give it to whomever he pleases. Whether that be some people, all people, no people, but rightly understood, there is no injustice. We don't want justice if we're honest. If you just think about about that for one minute, what I do not want from God is justice. I love what John Stott says. He says, the wonder is not that some are saved and others not, but that anybody is saved at all. Anyone. The good news about this God we meet in scripture who gives mercy to all these bad guys, is the same God who still gives mercy today to bad guys. We don't deserve it, but we don't deserve it and we receive it. It is mercy. So then it It, what is the it? That is our salvation. It it does not depend on our human will, but on God who has mercy. Now, this does not mean that when it comes to the person that God extends mercy to, the sin and the rebellion of that person just simply gets ignored. Not at all, okay? If God chooses to require justice for some who are clearly guilty and then not demand justice for others who are clearly guilty, that would be injustice. But that is not who God is. Your first big idea, remember, God will never treat anyone unfairly. No, the guilty who God gives mercy to, do not go free for free. What has all of Romans been teaching us about the Lord Jesus Christ? He has come. He has come to pay the penalty for all who would believe the sin and wrath of God that we deserve. Christ absorbed the wrath of God on the cross for all who are his. Christ takes the sinner's guilt and shame and death and the justice of God is met. The guilty go free, but it costs God the life of his son. And if God chooses to give that to anyone, it's undeserved, it's unearned. We call it mercy. It's the gospel, and it's beautiful. But there's no injustice. So again, it's a hard text, the questions I asked you. Will I trust God when I don't understand all of his ways? Will I trust God when I struggle to believe everything that his word says, or just some of the things that he says? And will I trust God, or will I become God? So moving on, no matter how good or bad you felt I did answering those questions for you, again, email me, josh at trc.life. Paul knows that there's going to even just be, there's going to be more questions. So he asks another one. You will say to me then. Why does he, God, still find fault? For who could resist his will? So the thought is now this. Okay, so if God just knows everything and he's in control of everything and everyone's rightly guilty and he just hardens the hearts of people who he wants and he saves whoever he wills and if I'm just a sinner and I'm just being handed over to my sin and my structure, and I got no choice in the matter and just, uh, so then how can God find any fault in me? Me, 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 me. We just come up with all of these things instead of thinking about, what about God? Just about me. This is hard for me. That's a loaded question. And again, Christian warriors online just debate each other in the the comment section all day long about what this means. I'm not here to pull any of my punches or my personal convictions. Um, Well, I guess that's not true. I've been lacing them throughout this whole sermon the whole time. (laughs) Y'all are going to be closet reformed Calvinists by the end of the week and you don't even realize it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. Okay, your next big idea. We must allow God to be God. That's a silly thing to say out loud, right? But it's, it needs to be said. God's God whether we allow him to be or not. For the Christian specifically, we go, when things are hard, when I don't understand them, am I going to dethrone God and be like, what I think you're doing is wrong or am I going to, okay, God, I don't know clearly your ways are not my ways so I'm going to allow you to be God going I trust that you will work all things together for good. For those who you love. Romans 8. And do notice that when Paul asked this question, verse 19, um, that this issue is about God's sovereignty, his bigness, his vastness, his uncomprehendableness, and it's going to be hard for us to understand. But just because Paul asked the question does not mean he agrees with the question, okay? He actually disagrees with the question because it's the wrong question. Paul could have just been like, oh, you guys still don't get it. How about, let's just start over. I'll start all over. Greetings, Paul Apostle. Let's start over from chapter one. Let me remind you all over and over again about how we have all willingly and personally rejected and disobeyed God. So the answer, why why does God find fault? Why? Because God finds fault in us because we're faulty. We're failures. We've sinned against him. End of story. Wrap it up. Let's pray. But Paul keeps going. So now on behalf of God's character, Paul's going to go on the defensive and he's going to ask a few questions of his own. Three of them are right here in these two verses here in Romans chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. The first question, but who are you, old man, to answer back to God? It's got a Job moment there. Question number two, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Question three, verse 21, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Use. So Paul very emphatically wants to remind us who we are and who God is. And his question here is very simple. Who are you? <laughs> who do you think you are? Right. who are we? Mankind. We're pretty dope. Male, female, made in the image of God. Pretty cool. We do some awesome stuff. We have some sick wardrobes. We listen to. We make cool music, but we're also, we get tired and hungry, and we're lazy, and we, we fail, and we don't know everything. And are you perfect? No, you're not really perfect. What do you know about creating stars? Nothing? Okay, what about you? How do you, what do you know about co- just creating galaxies to spontaneously erupt out of nothing? How do you, do you know anything about that? What about, have you ever been wrong before, right? And some of y'all would argue about that until you're, blue in the face. But very simply, the answer to this question is, who am I? To answer back to God is, I'm not God. I'm not. That's sufficient enough. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He is the boss. He is in charge when it comes to all of the hard things, all the difficult things, to his word, what is true, what is right, what is wrong, what is salvation. All of that is above our pay grade. He does not have a suggestion boss for us asking for our comments and feedback. But what this is not saying, we have to be careful here. Paul is not saying, how dare you, scum of the earth? You're just a lump. How dare you question God? That's not... The heart here at all. We know scripture very emphatically says, You come to me with all of your questions. We have a God who's like, you can approach my throne with confidence. Is there anything bugging you or scaring you or causing you doubt? Or you have questions, bring them to me, right? That's good. We have access to God and it's beautiful. The Lord Jesus Christ teaches us this Himself, right? He says, Are any of you tired? Are you burdened? Are you heavy laden? Are you scared? Are you ashamed? Are Are you fearful? you have questions? Does that not make sense to you? Are these things hard for you to understand? Why don't you come to me and I'll I'll give you rest? Jesus on the cross, Christ in his humanity is going at it with God the Father. He's going, big question, right? God, why have you forsaken me? Paul is not criticizing the person who would come to God with a sincere heart of God, why is this the way that it is? God, why will this pain, why won't this whatever, relent. God, I don't understand how this could be. We should bring all of our questions to the Lord, right? That's not the text. That's not where the text is getting at here. This is a critique. You see the spiciness of the Apostle Paul here, which I like. Um, This is a person who would just straight at, just, just 90 miles an hour, go straight at the Lord. Just back, slap back, clap back, bark back, disagree, you're wrong. This is just the person who would say, let me tell you what I think is right and what I think is wrong. What I think you have done with Pharaoh back then, I think that wasn't very kind. I think you should have, the whole flooding, the world. That, settle down, buddy, take a Prozac. What you've done was <laughs> wrong. I think the ways that the, the, you say that I've had a sin problem and I need a savior and you have thoughts and opinions on what I do and my identity and my sexuality and you say all these things that are just oppressive to me and I think you're wrong. That's, the, that's what Paul is saying. Whoa, be careful that you're not clapping back at the Lord God Almighty. Do you see what happens when we start to question and talk to God this way? We elevate us and we demote the Lord. We would do well not to stand in judgment of God when God stands rightly on the throne over us. Will the mold, will what is molded say to its molder? why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable? So this question is a defense of God's character. And Paul gives us this illustration of a potter and clay, and it's kind of silly, but we need to remember that it's just an illustration. The apostle Paul is not saying that this is an insult, that you would ever question God or have any thoughts and approach God, and you just need a reminder to be put in your place that you're just dirt. You're just... Well, I guess you are kind of dirt, huh? But you're, you're, that's not what Paul's saying, is what I'm saying. Okay. You guys are made in the image of God, and you are beautiful and fearfully and wonderfully made, and there is nothing in all creation, in the galaxy, in the universe, more precious and beautiful than you made in the image of God. We know that's true. But we get this silly picture of Clay talking back to a potter who is in control of them, and... um. And it's kind of a silly way, the only way I know how. I'm not really into pottery, so I'll explain it to you this way. Um, most of y'all have dogs, right? Because most of y'all are dog people, I know. Um, God will help you with that. Um, I have a dog. That's Maggie right there. You're probably thinking, no way, did he get a dog that looks just like the Simpsons dog? You're sure right I did. <laughs> uh, my wife would not let me name her Mag- uh, Santa's little helper, so we settled for Maggie, a.k.a. Margaret Thatcher Edwards, we love her. So, okay, anyways, where am I? You have a dog, imagine one day, you come home from a work, long day at work, and your dog all of a sudden knows how to talk. And the second you walk in the door, your dog starts interrogating you. It's this moment you walk in the door, what would you think? You would go, man, those muscle relaxers are kicking in, man, right? <laughs> Whoa. But say you come home, and Fido is just waiting for you, and Fido does not agree with your professional career. What you do when you leave that front door and you're just gone for who knows how long doesn't approve of that. Your feeding schedule, you can feed them whenever you want. I've seen the bag of dog food, and you're only gonna feed me one cup in the morning and one cup at night, that seems harsh. How dare you do that? I don't think that's right. That's so unloving. You don't let me sleep on your bed? I don't think that's fair this backyard and tell me to go outside and it's a fence and it's, it just feels like it's just, it's oppressive. You have like these boundaries or something. I just don't agree. How would you respond? You'd be like, oh baby, so Fido. Oh my goodness. I, for- I didn't realize the whole world revolved around you. That's not true. Well, some of y'all's dogs do. The world does revolve around them and you need to repent and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but you would say, oh Fido, I'm so sorry. You just need to shut your mouth because you're just a dog. (laughs) Fido has no right to talk back, no idea what's going on behind the scenes when you leave the front door. Your ways are not Fido's ways. That is the answer in a silly way the Apostle Paul is giving us here. How can we possibly understand the infinite God when there is this great chasm of wisdom and knowledge that separates us? We must allow God to be God in the difficult things like my pain and my burdens and my fears and my sorrows and the difficult things like who God has predestined to give and not give his mercy to. We have to trust that he knows what he is doing, even if it's impossible for us to make sense of. So again, I ask you the questions. When this thing is hard, will I still trust God when I don't understand all of his ways? Will I still trust God, even when I struggle to believe what his word says? And will I trust God? Will I let God be God, or will I be God? You know who would do a horrible job at being God? You. (laughs) Me. Oh, that would be awful. You know how biased you would be? Your football team would always win 702 to 0. You'd always be the 10th caller on the radio station. You'd always win that free vacation. You'd get all the promotions at work. You'd inflict plagues on all of your enemies who have happier lives than you on Instagram, and you would strike dead every person who's ever cut you off in traffic. I am so thankful y'all aren't God, and vice versa. You know know who really do think they're God, sadly? God, Lord help us. Um, Children! (laughs) Any parents in the room say, Lord, deliver me today. (laughs) God has humbled every parent in this world and these little things we call blessings um, who ironically just think they're God. They know everything. Their ways are always better than our ways. And ours are just oppressive. You tell them, hey, baby, uh, it's bedtime. You got to get ready for bed. And they just fight it. No, just like 30 more minutes. They think you're wrong. It's not their bedtime. You get them up. Hey, you got to grab your coat. It's going to be cold outside. And they just deny it. I'm not cold. You say, hey, Bubba, you got to eat your breakfast. You got a long day today. They refuse. No, I'm fine. I'm not hungry. Stop pushing your views on me, man. <laughs> Justify everything. Their ways are not your ways. Theirs are just better, right? In that moment, mom and daddy are wrong. I'm right. I know better until they get outside. And they start walking, and about two minutes in, they're like, gosh, it's, it's, it's cold out here, Mom. Why didn't you give me a coat? <laughs> they're falling asleep at school. Oh, man, why didn't my parents let me sleep in, man? It's all pear. And their stomach starts growling. Why did you send me away starving? <laughs> and we go, Baba, I, I did all those things, but you wouldn't listen. You thought your ways were better than mine, and you needed to trust me. All the parents in this room, we know that's kind of silly, but we also know that's kind of true. And we're also kind of excited for one day that our children one day will grow up, and then they'll have children, and we know that the Lord will repay them for the evil (laughs) and the treason (laughs) they've they've committed against us. And we can't wait for that day. It's going to be wonderful. Amen? We can't wait for you to have children, kiddos. I mean, take your time. But Paul's response here is he's reminding us that... um, this is how we often are with God. We take things that are beyond our comprehension and we try and man it down and de-escalate God and elevate us and I have a better understanding and it, it's, our ways are better. This is hard for me to understand so I'm just going to knock God down a peg and make him more understandable, which every false religion and cult does. <laughs> Let's make God more understandable. Anyways, that's another sermon. We need God's help to help us see God as bigger. Amen. So Paul's final question, and I'm way over time. You're welcome, I guess. Um, It's more of a final statement regarding um, God's purposes in election and man's salvation. And it's a statement. It says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience? God has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Be careful there, bad Calvinist anti-Calvinist, this verse does not say, vessels of wrath which I have prepared for destruction. Okay, all of Romans is saying, no, we prepare ourselves pretty well for destruction. Don't throw something in the text that's not there. Verse 23, what if God endures with much patience vessels of wrath prepared to destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? So, finally, some verses that aren't hard to unpack. In both God's eternal plan and the predestination of saving some vessels and the handing over of other vessels and allowing those vessels to continue in their sin and their rebellion and their hard heart. This is a mystery that is above our pay grade. So the takeaway is this. God's glory is perfectly revealed in both his judgment and his mercy. That is what verses 22 and 23 are saying. We believe that when God Extends his righteous judgment to those who rightly deserve it, we go, that is good. And on the same side of the coin, on the other side, flip side of the same coin, is that how the kids say it? Yes. When God makes known the richness of his glory and his power by giving and extending his mercy to vessels who do not deserve that, how much more does that demonstrate God's goodness? That's Paul's answer. What if God has endured with much patience? The answer is he has. God right now has been so patient towards every person who is hard-hearted, stiff-necked, revolting against the God who created them. All of Romans 1 has been telling us this. So when we get to chapter 9 and we start to view God through a yucky lens as harsh and cruel, we're being swept away into error. That is not scriptural. Look at Romans. All we've been told over and over again is how merciful God is. Romans 1 gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the God. Chapter two, God's kindness leads you to repentance. God's for, chapter four, God justifies the ungodly. Chapter five, while we were enemies with God, Christ died to reconcile us. Chapter six, God's free gift of eternal life is giving us his son. Chapter seven, God rescues us from these bodies of death and decay. Chapter eight, God offers his son as our sacrifice. Chapter nine, God looks at boneheaded people who will even worship golden calf jewelry. He says, oh, I'm gonna give them mercy anyways. So when we get to this text here, understand, beloved, that those of us who believe, this applies to me, this applies to you. We were once the vessels of wrath, and God has mercy, has chosen to turn us into vessels, recipients of his grace, and mercy fills us up with his grace and his mercy, and he's done it for his glory, undeserved, unearned, just mercy and grace. We don't deserve that. None of us deserve to be called Christians. You know when we talk about salvation of Jesus Christ we often say you will never understand how good the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ is until you understand how bad your sin is, right? That's what Romans 9 right here these verses 22 and 23 are really telling us. We can't properly understand how amazing God's mercy is until we see the backdrop of his wrath and his justice. So as we wrap this up, these verses should simply bring us to our knees for the presence of the Almighty. He is so much bigger and greater and wiser than we often allow. And for us who believe, this is incredibly humbling for every believer in this room. And it's also so hopeful for every unbeliever in this room. For the believer, because we know what we deserve. And we know it has been freely given. And it is hopeful for the unbeliever because... My friend, if you do not know the Lord, this God of mercy may right now be drawing you to his son, Jesus Christ. Do you hear him? That's the gospel of Jesus, that Christ has come to save sinners, and he may be calling you to repent and trust in him today, and the Lord will not turn away anyone who turns to him. So I ask you, does the good news of God seeking and saving you, does it melt your heart today? Where's that heart in your heart? I implore you to trust in the God who melts hearts and brings people from spiritual death to spiritual life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, would you help us to see you as God? Help us to see you as greater, bigger, wiser, kinder than us, more merciful, more patient than us. Our only hope in this life and the next is you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you for those who know you that you have chosen to love us freely, give us mercy freely. And Lord, we, we beg and we plead in the same moment, out of the same breath, that God, the same grace you've extended and given to us, would you give that towards the unbelieving world, our friends, our loved ones who don't know you, would you awaken up their affections and their cold, hard hearts to the glorious mercies of your Son, Jesus Christ? In your mercy, God, you'd give them something they don't deserve, like you've done for us. Would you draw them from spiritual death to life, Jesus? That's who you are. That is what you do. That is who you are. That is what you do. And who are we? We are the clay. You are the potter. You will do what you will. We believe that. We trust in you. We know that you are good, and all of your ways are right. And all God's children said,